Welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On today's episode, we are on week six of our legacy study titled Being a Disciple. If you would, grab your Bibles and a cup of coffee. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad you're joining me today as we jump into week six of this legacy study. I believe that you are going to be encouraged as I know that I have been myself as I have been working through this and preparing to record this episode. This week we are focusing on being a disciple. If you have not had the opportunity to listen back to the first five episodes, I really want to encourage you to do that now. If you are new here, welcome. I am very glad that you are joining along. However, the last five weeks, we have really unpacked a lot of wonderful information with this legacy study. And so I do really want you here, but I want you to start from the beginning. Now, if you have been following along with me, welcome to week six. Let's jump in. Now, last week we talked about discipling, discipling and what a disciple actually is. This week we are going to talk about being a disciple. So we had to ask the question, what is a disciple? And we know that a disciple is someone that is actually following Jesus. You have made a profession of faith. The Bible tells us that if you believe with your mouth, repent of your sins, and you confess that Jesus Christ came to die for you, that you will be saved. That is what is required for salvation. It is a simple task, and yet it is what is required to be reconciled to our holy and just God. So now as we jump into physically being a disciple, we're going to distinguish between the crowds that were following Jesus and those that had a very intimate relationship with him, those being Peter, James, and John. The relationships that those three men had with Jesus looked a lot different from the crowds that were following him from place to place, seeking him for numerous reasons. Perhaps they were inspired by his teachings. Maybe they thought that he was going to be an earthly king who was going to establish his kingdom and he was going to rule over them in a physical sense. Maybe they knew about his healings and they truly believed that he could heal them or a loved one. No matter what, they were following. They were following and there were crowds flocking around Jesus. One important piece to wrestle with before we get to the actual process of making disciples is that we first, we must, we must identify if we are actually a disciple. Because if we're going to disciple others, we have to first be a disciple ourselves. Let me give you a little story. A few years ago, I was led 
to take a concealed carry course. It was an all-women's class where I sat under the teachings of this wonderful man. He had served as the secretary of the state police. He was very skilled in carrying a handgun. He knew a lot about gun safety. And so for two and a half days, we sat through the instruction side of it where we sat with a pen and paper. He went through PowerPoints and he did teaching that was required for us to actually apply for our concealed carry license. And then on the third day, when we had our actual guns, we had practiced prior to this with fake bullets, with target practicing, things like that. We actually went to the gun range where we were going to shoot an actual gun. Each of us needed to have a FOID card in our hand to legally be able to carry guns from here and there, but none of us needed to have anything to be able to stand at this gun range and fire this loaded pistol. I walked away with a ton of information. I applied for my concealed carry license and to this day I am able to carry a firearm if I should choose to do so. With all this being said, I know very little about gun safety. If someone were to approach me and ask me to go teach a concealed carry course, I would tell ya, y'all's a crazy because I'm not about to go teach a bunch of women or men how to properly handle a gun because I have very little experience doing so. And that is the mentality that we need to have. If we are going to go and make disciples in the name of Jesus, we cannot possibly go and teach others if we ourselves have not been properly equipped with the information to teach others. And so I want us to go into this with that mentality, whatever it may be that you know that you're not skilled in. Remind yourself that you would never sign yourself up to teach a group of people about that material if you did not know it yourself. Now, we address the fact that we're not talking about a salvation issue here to be a disciple of Jesus. It's pretty straightforward that you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. And we would hope that we would see fruit growing, that your faith is increasing your knowledge of the Lord is coming to be put into action. However, there are individuals who are saved by God and they refuse to obey and they sit where they're at, never taking steps in their faith. But being a disciple is not the same thing. So let's discuss different groups that were following Jesus. There was a group of over 5,000 people. Whenever Jesus would feed this group with a few fish and a few loaves of bread, it was a miraculous event where he would use the resources that he had been given and He would bless the people with this food. It was 
a miracle. And the people ate and had their fill. But when we look at scripture, there's an even smaller group who Jesus would send out. There was a group of 72 in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to turn here now. This is called Mission of the Seventy. Let's read in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will soon be more tolerable in that day for Saddam than for that city. So Jesus is sending out a group of 70 to minister to people in his name and for his kingdom. And he's given them instructions. They are to carry nothing with them. They are to go into homes and if... They welcome them, great, eat, enjoy their company, share my word. But if you go into a place and they reject you, dust the feet, dust the dirt off your feet, and move on. These are pretty clear instructions that he has given them. And as we look at this group of 70, these individuals had a much deeper relationship with him than the crowd of 5,000. Now, when we take this group and we compare it to an even smaller group, we have the 12 disciples. These 12 had a very intimate relationship with Jesus. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus teaches the crowd, and then he'll retreat back into Peter's home or elsewhere. He'll give the 12 further instructions. He was breaking down the parables that he spoke to the crowds and explaining the parables to his disciples in much greater depth. And there is no doubt that the disciples, that they were much closer to him. They had a greater degree of faith and trust in him than those outside of the circle. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there was an even smaller group, those men being Peter, 
James, and John. These three would be taken up on the mountain with Jesus, and he would reveal himself to them. This was known as the transfiguration. These three comprise the innermost circle. And so as we look at these different groups, as these different at these different individuals who were following Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, where are we found? When it comes to our understanding of who Jesus is, and when it comes to how we apply Jesus' understanding to our lives, what that looks like in our everyday lives, which group do we find ourselves in? Do we find ourselves being part of the crowd where we're seeing things from afar, we're hearing the things and we're applying it and taking what we like from it. We come when it's convenient to us and then we go back until we find ourselves in a hard spot and we again seek him out. Or do we find ourselves more in the group of 70 where perhaps we're weekly participating in ministry we're involved in the things of Jesus. We hear his name mentioned frequently. We're aware that God is in control of our lives, and that's great. But perhaps our understanding is still shallow when it comes to believing that God controls every bit of our lives not just the pieces that we allow him to control, but he actually is in control of all of it. And so when we look at the 12 disciples who were with, with Jesus during his three years, during his earthly ministry, those that he was training personally, he was teaching them daily. They were daily sitting at his feet We must examine their lives. We must see what they were doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then we must ask ourselves, do our lives reflect that of the apostles? We are not called to be apostles. I believe that they were on this earth for that specific time, for that specific purpose. We are all, as Christ followers, given the mission to go and make disciples and to be making disciples again we must first be disciples so do our lives reflect the faith and the trust and the understanding that the apostles lives did and then friends when we look at the lives of Peter and James and John these men had such an intimate relationship with Jesus yes they all three were sinners but they were saved by God's grace and as their knowledge grew of that grace and just what it cost Jesus 
to pay for the sins of the world. Their view of the world became so, so dim. They were willing to endure through so much hardship, for they knew that their suffering is what truly produced perseverance. And that perseverance was what produced their character. And their character was a reflection of Jesus, who dwelled in them, who was guiding them and leading them, for they were daily surrendering their lives to him. They were sitting at his feet. They were abiding in him every second of their days. I am so inspired by the lives of Peter, James, and John. John, the beloved brother, the one whom Jesus loved. I was at a volleyball tournament a couple months ago, and I had the wonderful opportunity to talk with my uncle. My uncle has been a member of the Lutheran Church where I um, attended for some time. I have since left the Lutheran Church, and I now attend a, a Christian church, but I believe that our Lutheran brothers and sisters, that they believe in the same God. They accept that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to the earth and that through his work, the Holy Spirit would be given. They believe in the triune God. And so I was so blessed to have a wonderful conversation with my uncle that day at the tournament. And he asked me, he said, Abby, who would you say that you're most like when it comes to the apostles? And I was reflecting, thinking about each of them from what I know from the scriptures. And I said, you know, I see myself in Andrew. Andrew was always willing to go and share. And I have a heart for that. I said, on the other hand, I find myself often acting like Peter, wanting people to just come along, hurry it up, growing so impatient with others. This is so wrong of me, I told him. I said, but at the end of the day, I long to have a heart like John. I long to be a follower that Jesus says, Oh, he is so dearly beloved. For John's faith was evident. I can't imagine the things that John saw. I can't imagine. I just, I can't. But he was granted by God a level of faith that most of us will never see on this side of eternity. But it should be our goal to strive for faith like these men, being content with the situations that the Lord has given us. But ultimately, as disciples of Christ, we should pursue such intimate relationships with Jesus 
that our faith would be evident, just as it was with those three men that Jesus loved and revealed himself to in such personal ways. And so what about you? When you think about your relationship with Jesus, where do you fall? Are you just a member of the crowd, casually listening to some of what he says? Only you know. And as you are walking alongside other Christ followers, perhaps they can help you evaluate. But at the end of the day, only you know your heart. And so, I think it's important for us to identify four different indicators to seeing whether we are a disciple of Jesus. The first indicator is, do you realize that everything that you have is God's? Everything. The body that he has given you is God's. The talents that you have, they are God's. The material possessions that you have, your home, your vehicles, the money in your bank accounts, all of it is God's. Do you realize that? And if he should ask you to give something up, would you? Because you understand that it wasn't yours to begin with. The second indicator of identifying yourself as a disciple is to be in pursuit of his word. We have to be reading God's word. We have to be in prayer daily. We need to be around other spiritual disciples that are bringing us closer to Christ. And so are you reading God's word? You cannot surely be a disciple of Jesus if you are not in the word of God. We do not receive revelation, new revelation from Jesus as they did in the times of the Old Testament and during the time of the apostles' earthly ministry. We have all of God's word written for us, which consists of 66 books that comprises the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures. It's all been God-breathed for us. It's useful for teaching us, correcting us, rebuking us, and training us. Do you sit under the authority of God, under his word, so that you can grow as a disciple and not only this but the power of prayer I think all of us as believers we all have work to do when it comes to our prayer life I'm growing daily in what it looks like to come to the Lord in prayer but are we are we doing it are we reading his word and then asking him to show us 
what he wants us to see so that our understanding can increase and our action can be evident as we apply it to our lives. The third indicator to identify yourself as a disciple is your love for others. Do you care about the needs of others over the needs of your own? This is not something that comes natural, friends. This is intentionality. It's choosing to love your neighbor as yourself and to desire their needs over your own. Again, this is not natural. That's going to take intentional effort through prayer and reading God's word for you to love others as you love yourself and be so concerned with their needs over your own. Number four, for identifying yourself as a disciple of Jesus, are you abiding in Christ? Are you remaining in the presence of Jesus, sitting at his feet daily? We cannot come in and out of his presence, although we often do, and we wonder why our faith is so lacking. We need to be abiding in Christ always for every thought that comes into our mind, every thought that leads to an action we need to be reflecting if this is Christ honoring. And so as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we are identifying ourselves as a disciple. In the book of John chapter 6, in verse 26, it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. When Jesus was taken into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan for 40 days, one of the ways that Satan tempted Jesus was with food. He tempted him because he knew he was starving. He knew that his body needed that physical nourishment. But Jesus tells us that we need more than physical food. We need his word. And so when he came and he died, he told us that he gave us his body to eat and his blood was poured out for us to drink. I do not believe that when we take communion that we are in some supernatural way ingesting the true body and blood of Christ. And I know that this is a debatable area of scripture. I see Jesus using this to teach us and show us that if we are feeding our faces with only physical food and physical drink and we are seeking him through prayer, well then we may not be seeking him always with the right heart. He makes it very clear 
at times we have to be willing to give up those physical elements to seek him more deeply, to see where he wants us to go in this life. And so have you ever fasted for a period of time? I'm not talking about Lent where you don't eat fish on Fridays. I'm sure that that has great roots in itself. Or perhaps you gave up candy or whatever it may be. But I'm talking about fasting in a way that for a 12-hour period, a 24-hour period, perhaps maybe even a two- or three-day-long period, you have given up physical food to grow deeper with your God and Creator. Jesus tells us that they were seeking Him not because of the things that they saw, but because they ate their fill. They ate their fill. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. There are so many delicious things for us to stick inside of our mouths so many things. I I love to eat, but oftentimes I think I eat for the wrong reasons. I don't eat to even enjoy my food. I don't eat because I know that it's fueling me. I just eat because it's so habitual. It's just something that I do. I don't even put much thought into it. Half the time, the things that I'm eating are in no way, shape, or form beneficial to my body. Can you relate? Somewhere, someone told me that God could have chosen to make all of our food taste like dirt, and he would have been just to do that, but he didn't. He gave us flavor. He gave us texture. He gave us color. What a good and gracious God for doing that. But at the end of the day, even if you were to try every single different food that there is, every single type of meat cooked in every type of medium, rare, you name it, category, if you don't have a relationship with the living God, if you don't seek Him and His Word and His will for your life, that food no matter how delicious it may seem in the moment, it's no better than sticking a big scoop of dirt inside of your mouth. And there have been times in my life over the last three years since my walk with the Lord began where the foods that I've eaten, that they had no taste. They had no taste. Perhaps it was because I had a virus and I had lost my sense of smell. But sometimes I realized that I was seeking the things of the earth rather than the one who made me and loves me and desires a more intimate relationship with me. Can you relate? In Galatians chapter 1, we see 
that Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he has become a believer in Jesus. However, he does not go directly to Jerusalem to be with the other apostles. He is sent by God to Arabia. And he would be trained by God himself. It would be where God would prepare him for the ministry. During those three years, he was saturated with the teachings of God. It would be after those three years that he would go and he would meet up with Peter, where the two of them would spend two weeks together. But if you see here, there is an important concept to grasp when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. After we make a profession of faith, we don't automatically go into the places as the apostles were teaching in the synagogues and doing like Peter and John were doing. No. We have to own something before we can teach it. Remember, you don't go out and teach a concealed carry course if you are a brand new beginner in gun safety. You have to own something before you can go out and teach it. And we see that with Paul. That's what God did with Paul during his time in Arabia. So what would it look like for you to abide in Christ in your day-to-day -day life? What does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus? Real realizing, friends, we're not called to perfection. We are called to holiness, however. And for us to become holy means that we're laying aside our past and we are moving forward in our relationship with God. We have been adopted into his family, which means that it's no longer us who lives, but it's him who lives in us. We are new creations. And we should be striving each day to sit at his feet and to grow in his likeness. So what's keeping you from becoming a more fully committed disciple of Jesus? If you have become his follower, are you going to stick to the crowd? Or are you going to seek to be as the 12 disciples were who were sitting daily at the feet of Jesus being taught by him? We all have access to God's word. So I want to encourage you this week to grow in the knowledge of God by opening up his word, allowing it to transform your mind so that you can become a more fully devoted follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
Well, friends, that's a wrap for week six. I hope that you all will leave here encouraged and diving deeper into God's word so that you can become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus. I hope that you have a blessed weekend and I'll talk to you soon.